you know, at that time, it was so late in my senior year. So all the spots in Sweden for the, SA, the last SAT of the year, they were all full. What am I gonna do now? I really wanna go, you know, when I made up my mind, I wanna just do something. I'm gonna make it happen no matter what. So I end up booking a flight to Poland to go there and take my SATs at one of those English schools down there. So I end up going there by myself, um, booking a hotel, just making my way to the testing center. Did the test in this like gymnasium, it was smelt so bad, the walls were coming down, it was the worst. <laughs> and then flew home the next day. Another season in the books. The podcast featuring European professional athletes who pursue their university degrees at home or in the United States. We'll talk about the ups and the downs, the pros and the cons. We'll hear from each athlete as they talk about their journey through academics and athletics. I'll also be talking to coaches and getting their opinion on the subject as well. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 11-year veteran in Spain's professional basketball leagues, Liga Femenina 2 and La Liga Endesa. Let's get to it! Hello everyone, I hope you are all doing well. Welcome back to another season in the books. Before we start today's episode, I have to apologize for the technical difficulties this 47th episode has produced. Why my computer didn't save the full audio from the Skype interview is beyond me, but we channeled our best MacGyver interpretation and were able to save the content. However, the audio does not sound the same. I really do apologize for this inconvenience and hope you enjoy this athlete's story regardless. She's the second Swede we've had on the podcast, but just listening to her speak, you might not realize English is actually her second language. Ida Anderson speaks phenomenally in English and is well on her way to being trilingual. Shout out to Ida's Duolingo streak. I think she's around 67 by now. Good job, Ida. Um, She grew up just south of Stockholm in a very active family. However, neither parent had played basketball. Ida fell in love with the sport and the rest is history. Her passion and drive to succeed on and off the court have propelled her through the good times and the bad. Good morning, Ida Anderson. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. It's a sunny day here in Madrid. Can't complain. Um, Which you're in Madrid as well right now, but... This coronavirus thing and just our busy schedules. We're meeting via Skype. Um, but you're not Spanish. You're originally from where? I'm originally from Sweden. So uh-huh. What's what city? What part? So I'm like 40 minutes south of Stockholm in a city called Södertälje. Well, and you find yourself now in Spain uh, because of basketball, which is fabulous. Um, yeah. But tell me, tell me a little bit about your first sports experience. I feel like we're uh, an active family, so I feel like sports have always been within my family, so it came kind of naturally. I was always, you know, running around, playing outside with my friends. All day, my parents had to, like, pull me in at night, and you know. But when it comes to, like, organized sports, um, I started off playing tennis when I was six, and we live right across the street from Bjornborg's um, tennis courts um, in Sweden. So it was really close, really convenient, and started playing tennis. After that came um, soccer. And then eventually when I was 12 or 13, I fell in love with basketball. Wow. So you started basketball a little bit later in life. Yes, yeah, I was, so we started playing um, at lunch breaks and stuff in school, I had a lot of friends who played, and it was just the thing we did at lunch at that time, you went, like, sometimes you played soccer, but this time, um, during this period, we um, always played, um, played basketball during the breaks, and then they're like, you should come to practice someday, and I'll coach for maybe, you know, when you're on our team, and and stuff so I uh, joined one of my friends to a practice one day I wore like um tights like I did gymnastics too came there with tights and much I'm like okay I'm really not like 
this is not me, but then end up being so much fun and yeah, just went on from there. So when you were playing at recess with your friends, were you playing with the girls or with the boys or did they play together? I want to say we played mixed together, but I don't think it lasted very long. (laughs) Because the boys always wanted to play boys against the girls, and then it was, you know, whatever. But um, I think we we played mostly together because it wasn't a lot of us who actually wanted to play, so we needed to mix to get, you know, two decent teams together. Right, because I think about um, my elementary school days, and I was the only girl that ever wanted to play basketball. (laughs) So it was just me and all the boys. (laughs) I think it was a lot more boys than girls. It was me and then three or, I guess, four more girls. So we had to play with the boys to be able to play at all. Uh Um, And you said that you came from a sports-oriented family. So did your parents participate in sports as well? Yeah, uh, my dad... Uh, played ice hockey very big in Sweden soccer and then he uh, most of his um, young age or whatever he did swimming Um, my mom said she played soccer at the highest level in in Sweden wow so coming from yeah they're they're trying to argue who we get like because all of us three are playing basketball obviously um are who we get our like athleticism or talent from like sense of like the ball you know what I mean at ball control I don't know but yeah it's been a a classic argument in our family but we're all agreeing that it's from mom dad can't really take it but it's definitely (laughs) from mom (laughs) (laughs) that's funny because in my house we kind of have the same um the same joke but my mom was never actually given the chance to play basketball, but she did tennis and she did like baton twirling. Um, but she thinks that our athletic ability came from her, even though my dad played not at a high level, but that's funny. Um, so then you also have siblings, correct? Yes. Two younger siblings, sister and a brother. Okay. So you're the oldest. Oldest. Yes. Did they take, um, did they follow in your footsteps or? They actually did. So when I started playing tennis, my sister jumped in right after me. And then my brother played, uh, not for long, but a little bit. Um, then whenever I quit tennis, I started transitioning into soccer. Uh, my brother started playing zo- soccer and played for a few years. And then whenever I started, I think I was the one transitioning, like, introducing these new sports to our family and then once I started playing basketball when I was 12 13 um both my siblings started to eventually so right now my sister and I still play basketball and my brother is playing padded which is not a lot of people know about this sport but it's the fastest growing sport in Spain paddle paddle yes it's like squash tennis ish yeah yeah it's really fun I've only done it a couple times but I, I had a good time yeah, yeah, I've heard. It's so easy to learn, I've heard. You know, it's, it's everybody's played tennis or badminton or, or ping pong at some point, so it's easy to mm-hmm. kind of learn. Okay, so when would you say you started taking basketball pretty seriously? So I started, I remember we had like these um, uh, all-star teams in my club. You have, in every age group, you have an all-star team, meaning a group of 12, like 12 players in every age where... They, you know, you make sure that they play the better games. You're in the higher leagues and stuff. Um, but I want to say I just did it, you know, for fun. And, and But in my club, the summers are very important. You know, you practice all summer, twice a day. And that's when I was like, I love to do it. And I, I want to be there every morning at 8 o'clock and every summer, you know, Monday through Friday. So I guess that's when I realized, like, this is what I want to do, and I think it's so much fun. Um, but I guess when it really hit me that I can play at a high level was when under-15 national team emails were sent out and my name was on there. And I guess that was my, like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I put all this work in, and it's paying off, so let me keep doing it. Wow. So you played, I'm assuming you played the 15 and under national team. And then have you been going pretty much ever since then? 
Um, I played with the under 15s, uh, and then I played European Championship with under 16. After that, it was kind of on and off. I had some injuries. I had mono one summer, and you know, so I played under 16th, and then I haven't actually been with 18th or or 20. Um, but um, just some personal reasons, some injuries here and there. Still, though, that's amazing. Uh, I think about being 15 years old and having your national team contact you. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's got to make you feel just, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's like, a big deal. Like, you know, you obviously, like, if you know um, basketball, you've been following the older national teams every year, and you know how great players they are. And to be even put in the same category as as many of those players who've made it very far, just you know, an honor, you know, to represent your country. And like my my relatives and stuff, they are non-athletic. Most of them, I don't want to say we have any other athletes in our family. So just you know, being the the first the family member to represent Sweden, and you know, it, I just know it means a lot to them to to you know. I know they have all my support, so. Right, if, yeah, yeah. definitely. So then when did you start entertaining the idea of going to the United States for college? That idea came pretty early, actually, because my second coach, I wanted, the person who had us for our all-star, who collected the team, put the team together when we were 12, um, she came straight out of college. So she was straight away sitting down with us. I think we were a little too young to even know what we wanted to do with basketball at that point. But she, um, before every summer where we're doing this whole training plan, she's like, where do you want to be? And where are you now? And where do you want to be at in five years, 10 years? So already there, she drew up this plan of you can go to high school here. We have a great program. You can then have the opportunity, you can get the opportunity to go to college at a great level, um, school, and then, you know, national team is right there as, like, parallel with, um, you know, com- combining school and, and basketball in the U.S. So already when we were 12 or 13, she kind of, like, gave us, like, um, like a mind map of where do you want to go? So we can already start putting purpose to our training during the summers. And she was just out of college. Had she gone to college in the States? Yes, she went to college. I want to say she went to a smaller school. Well, I have never heard of it when she, um, it's called Abbey University, A-B-B-E-Y. Okay. Just from her experience, she's like, she's not, and you know, from her coming from college right away, when starting with us, she kind of took that coaching kind of mentality and us and be like, if you're going to make it, like you gotta do this, you gotta study hard, and you gotta work so hard. So she trained us in the way to prepare us for the college <laughs> coaches. So when I mean, when you hear this older coach telling you this, were you you were so young, but were you really interested? Were you like asking questions? I mean, I I don't know what I would think if I was that young thinking about traveling to the other, a different spot in the world away from my family to continue studying and playing. Um, But like, when did, when did teams start contacting you or how did that all come about? Um, I think when she first introduced it, I was like, oh, super cool idea. And like, I want to go and study like, and learn a new language and live a different culture. But it was so far away, it was like five, six years ahead of me so it's like okay you you mentioned it well let's keep it in mind and you know if somebody's asking what you want to do like oh I want to go to college because that was all you really knew was like you know what I mean whoever started um helping me with recruiting I think at first I got a message on on Facebook um from I don't know if he was in like an agent or he was helping Europeans get in contact with schools in the U.S. um Mm -hmm. Star Europe. I think he is still um, with that company or if he's running it by himself. Um, so he contacted me saying, hey, are you interested in going to the U.S.? If so, sign up with my profile and and, and um, to put you on, under my name, basically. So coaches can contact him and say, hey, do you have 
a guard or shooting guard. I need someone. Mm-hmm. And how it works, they can just look up. Um, kind of like when you transfer in the U.S., you get put on a list. Then they can search on there. So I think it's after under 16. And then I wasn't really interested. Like, I don't know. I was um, obviously open for the opportunity, but didn't put much interest to it until it was time to choose. Am I going to go or no? Senior year of high school. So that's kind of when I had to make a decision. Am I going to go through with this? Then I got to go take my SATs and the TOEFL test and all of that. Yeah, I was going to ask you that next. Then you had to prepare for the SATs and you had to take the TOEFL or the TOEFL. Um, What do you remember about that experience? Was it stressful? Was it easy? Was it, I don't know. Uh, Like, English for me wasn't my biggest strength. And I feel like even now, like, I'm not in college anymore, so my English is slightly worse than what it used to be. I think it's great. Thanks, thanks. Um, but, um, uh, I remember just in high school, like, had good grades overall, but English was like, uh, I know how to just have conversation, but when it comes to the academic part, you know, it's, it's more difficult for me, mm-hmm. but I, um, Amanda Zawi, if you know who that is, she, she came, went to the university of Minnesota. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh, yeah. I thought, um, yeah. My, uh, my right? good friend. My good friend is one of the coaches at the University of Minnesota, and I'm pretty sure she helped Amanda come uh, get all of her paperwork and all that stuff together to come to the U. Yeah. Yeah, that was a long process. But, yeah, so she gave me her SAT books, and I was just like, oh, my God, do I have to learn all of this? And, you know, all the vocabulary, everything. I didn't even know half of it. So um, just started studying for it. I uh, scheduled my first um, SAT in my senior year of high school, um, and I think my score was, like, it was really bad. They were like, um, you're not going to get in with this score. <laughs> Once I've, like, talked to some schools, I'm like, okay, you know, I'll go do it again. But, you know, at that time, it was so late in my senior year, so all the spots in Sweden for the, SAT, the last SAT of the year, they were all full. Hmm. What am I going to do now? I really want to go. You know, when I made up my mind, I want to do something. I'm going to make it happen no matter what. So I end up booking a flight to Poland to go there and take my SATs at one of those English schools down there. So, oh, my goodness. This, I think this was even my finals week of, of high school. Yeah. So I end up going there by myself. Um, booking a hotel, just making my way to the testing center, did the test in this like gymnasium. It was smelt so bad. The walls were coming down. It was the worst. <laughs> and then flew home the next day and I got the results back and they were a little better than what they were before. And, um, I ended up getting into, um, to one of the schools that, or to Stetson University where I ended up going my first two years. Wow, I am speechless right now. Like you were eighteen or seventeen years old, and you just got on a flight to Poland to yeah. go take your SAT in the yeah. middle of in the middle of preparing, yeah, your own high school schoolwork and everything. I mean, to have to do all that on top of what what you're already doing is just incredible to me. Like you had to have so much such a desire to do this. Um, I just think it's. Good, yeah. good job. Like, high five. <laughs> high five. Yeah. yeah. No, it was definitely, you know, it was maybe because I think it was in February or March. I was like, you know what? I really want to do this. And then when I talked to um, this guy working for Blue Star, he's like, you know what? It might be too late for you, you know? Um, all of these schools are already been giving up all their scholarships and all their money. We'll see what happens. But... Um, then they got me in contact with Stetson. They're like, hey, if you get your SAT score up this much, we'll take you in. And I'm like, you know what? This is an opportunity I might not get again, so let me just go ahead and do it. So I just had to get it done. Wow. <laughs> you cost. Yeah. So then you didn't take an official visit or anything? It was like, all right, I'm going to Stetson, and that's where I'm going. I did take an official visit um, in April of that year. Um and I went with my dad, 
you know, I'd never been, I had been to the U.S. once before, the summer before, because my boyfriend, or John, my fiance now, um, uh, is American, so we were, I was there for the summer last year, but before that I had never been, and I don't think I had been comfortable enough to even give it a shot at college if it wasn't, you know, for him, not pushing me, but also you're just introducing me to the U.S. because I think it would be a little too big of a step for me if I hadn't been there before or been any, you know, were comfortable with the language, so. Okay. So when you went on your official visit, had you already committed? No. So I, I went there in April, and they said, you know, everything is good, but we're looking at your SAT. You know, you got to get it up a little bit before you can come and or before we can accept you and I said okay you know if this is what I need to do I need to go do it so got it and they're like hey we're good wow okay and Stetson is in Florida so that probably was a little bit of a a nice adjustment from Sweden I don't know I mean in Sweden it's probably fairly cold in the winter I'm assuming yes pretty pretty cold you'd say that we have snow about five months of the year Mm -hmm. snow Flush, whatever the temperature decides to be. Okay, so then you get accepted, you raise your SAT score, um, and then that, what, that summer or in August or September, you say goodbye to your family, and yeah. you head over to the U.S. for, for your freshman year. Um, what was the adaptation process like on the court and off the court? I just think everything was overwhelming, everything, like, just the culture, and I think the biggest difference and the biggest change that I experienced was on the court. You know, I had a coach that um, knew exactly what she wanted, and if she didn't get it, you were going to hear about it. I was the, it was me and another international girl from Austria, who's actually playing Spain this year, um, Sarah Sager. She'll get mad at me if I say her name wrong, but it's okay. <laughs> she's, um, is she in the first division or the second division? Yeah, first division. Um, she is in, I want to say she's in a city called Zamora. Zamora, yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, so she's playing there. It's your, um, so we were the only international people there. So we were kind of the, the, the people that were... I guess the most interesting because we were the most different, I guess. You know, it's like, oh, how do you say this in Swedish? Oh, how do you say this? And then, um, so I guess the transition initially was, was, and I think we were, we just had each other's back all the time. And, and you know, so, um, but then and on the court, it was a little more difficult for me because I don't know how much I can <laughs> say in this podcast, but it was different when it comes to um player and coach relationship and to and within that respect and communication and just coaching style I guess sure um I'm sure that you have have, um kind of the same not maybe not exactly the same but a similar idea from the college coach to a European coach and right, and especially because you had come from a club and, like, playing with professional players, I'm assuming, and then older players and just that. I remember my first year out of college in Switzerland, we went out for lunch, and at the end of lunch, we ordered, they ordered, like, an after-lunch shot, you know, like, of limoncello or I don't know if it was Bailey's. And I was sitting there like, oh, my gosh, I'm just – I'm drinking alcohol with my coach. This is weird. Um, but in Europe, that's a little bit more common. And in the United States, I think it's very black and white, like the coach and the players. I don't know if that's kind of what you're getting at, but. Yeah, and and I think, yeah, for sure. It's more a loose environment, and we're all here together. I feel like in, in Europe, I feel like it's, we're all like on the same level. We're here for the same mission. We're here to help each other out coaches and staff and players and they're making it more of a business with the u.s it's like you're here to put in the work for me if you're not trying to put in the work that i want you to then you can get out yeah. it's or like um i remember i had um 
it was a weird injury, I guess, but I had like a lot of pressure over my chest and I had a heart surgery when I was 14, 13. So for me, have feeling pressure over my chest, I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't right. I need to go check this out. I need, you need to do ultrasound. You need to do all these things to make sure everything's good. Because, you know, with the heart in general, especially like if you've had heart surgery or any procedure done before, I'm taking it extra seriously. So I tell physio, I said, um, uh, uh, I was like, I feel like this pressure over my chest or when I contract my ribs, like it's very like sharp pain. Um, and she's like, okay, well you shouldn't practice until we know, um, before we go check it out. Um, and coach was asking me and I, I said, are you going to, I told my physio, I was like, are you going to tell coach or do you want me to tell coach? I'd rather you tell coach because she's not going to take me seriously if I go to her. And uh, she's like, yeah, 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 I'll talk to her. The next morning we get there, we had 6 a.m. practice. And I start just, because I can't raise my um, heart rate. So I'm just doing some ball handling on the side. Coach is walking over here and she's like, this is all she can do today? Looking at the physio. It's like, yeah, 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 until we've had a doctor look at her and, and make sure everything's fine, we don't want her to, to do anything. She's like, okay, well, then she can go home. You know, you can go home. And this is the nice version. This is the nice version. Wow. So I, I was sent home, and um, they were doing different things, trying to figure out what it was. I had a doctor's appointment later that day, trying to figure out what it was. Um, and I got medications for like three or four different things because they thought it was um, – uh, what is it, heart cloth, cloths, whatever, um, which is serious, and, you know, you can, if you have it, you need to stop playing, um, but, yeah, so she wasn't having that, but I think a European coach would react very differently to, if I were to come to her, I would be more comfortable coming to her, to a European coach, to be like, hey, I'm feeling this, they're like, okay, you know, we trust yeah. you, go to yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think college um, coaches are under a lot of pressure to win, and they just want to push you, push you, push you until the you know the max. And it can be a good thing. And at the same time, I, I know a lot of uh, friends and former players that maybe didn't have the best college experience, unfortunately, and it's too bad. Yeah, so I'm sorry to hear that. So what about the transition, the adaptation process uh, in the classroom? You know, you're going to 6 a.m. workouts, you're doing weights, uh, probably doing some running. You know, maybe the whole weights and conditioning was different than what you had experienced as well. And then on top of all that, you're taking classes. How was that? I just, I've just heard, you know, from all these players that have been to college and, and John was trying to prepare me too. Is like, they're going to kick your butt every day. <laughs> And you're going to have a busy schedule, so just make sure you stay on top of everything. I think that summer, I have never been in a better shape that, you know, in my life. The shape of my life before college. Um, uh-huh. I think mentally, I don't think mentally you can get prepared enough, but I think I was well prepared going into um, these busy schedules and stuff. Um, classroom, I started recording every single class. And I'm a perfectionist. So I, I, I listen, I take notes, I don't follow everything. I remember my first class was like freshman seminar, it was like um, uh, so like an American politics class. I'm like, I've got nothing on this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, started recording everything and I, I got in contact with a tutor who could help me to just explain, like he's saying this, what does that mean? You know, explain in different words, in less like advanced words so I can understand. Um, but I ended up getting, I think my freshman year, I got straight A's, but I put in so much work. Oh my God. I studied maybe triple than, than a normal American English speaking student would need. Um, wow. I think the transition was, that was hard. I think I, I'm so hard headed when it comes to, okay, I might have a language barrier when it comes to this, but that's not going to stop me, you know? So I went to all these computers and, you know, tell me everything I need to know, you know. So I think that just when all the tools, like we had the tutors and, and the writing lab and all that, I used everything I could get access to to make sure that I was good ac- um, academically. 
Yeah, like, good for you. You are using your resources because they are there. They have a lot. You just need to ask. What about the food? Did you eat in the cafeteria? Did you prepare your own meals? Did the team give you meals after practice? And how did you adjust to the differences? And this is another thing that I had prepared for. I'm like, there's gonna, because um, we had the cafeteria. The buffet was right there. You know, you you see these normal students having all these terrible foods like pizzas, burgers ice cream like they would literally sit right next to the ice cream machine so they didn't have to like walk over i'm like this is insane but as being a responsible athlete you know we're trying to um nourish our bodies with what we need so we can last you know recover fast and everything um i think i definitely gained weight even though it was the hardest preseason of my life (laughs) but i think you know once you understand you know, once you find your rhythm and your balance with what what's available and what's good to eat, and you know, I think throughout the year, you know, I I um, got back to my normal weight. But I definitely I didn't, you know, the freshman fifteen, I it wasn't fifteen pounds, but it was definitely more than what I needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I definitely gained weight too because it was it was hard to use self control when you saw those cookies or when you saw the ice cream or when you saw all these different types of cereals, um, it it was definitely hard. And then my roommate at the time, she would take all these cookies extra back to the room with her. And so then they were in the room. (laughs) We'll sneak out cookies and then put in the paper towel, just put in the napkin. Yes. Yes. And then the paper towel is just saturated with like oil. Yeah. Um, did you live with a teammate or with just a random student? Um, so this is kind of an interesting story, too, I guess. First, we lived in a basement. It was like the entrance of one of the buildings that they had redone. And it was on the bottom, so it felt like the basement. And okay. they had accepted more people than what they thought would actually come. So they ended up, ended up putting me and two other of my teammates, freshman teammates, in this, it felt like a basement. Um, <laughs> And they literally just put three beds, three desks, and three, um, like, closets on. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, like, the main end, so they had, you know, obviously they had to lock the main entrance. But the main entrance was, like, I slept with my head by the door of the main entrance of the building. But they had to shut it and use the um, emergency exits for it. The main, yeah, it was a mess. So we were there for three months. And then I uh, got my um, normal room with a soccer girl who um, uh, was very welcoming and interested in, in learning new things. And I ended up going to Arizona with her at the end of the year. And she showed me her home and we went to L.A. And where I actually met, I saw you interviewed Paulina Herzler. I actually ended up meeting her there just to say hi because... When am I ever in LA? Um, right. So I had brunch with her. But yeah, so ended up staying with her all year, which I'm very happy for. Yeah, that's great. Not everybody has a good uh, roommate experience, especially when two people, they don't know each other, you know, they're put in a room to live with yeah. each other. I'm happy um, she's uh, Yeah. That's the biggest thing. If you're an athlete, then I'm sure we can get along. And right each other's schedules and, and sleep hours and stuff. Exactly. Um, and what did you think about what you were going to major in? Had you kind of thought about that before going? Um, did you have any idea? How did that pan out? Um, so this is one of the reasons that, another reason why I wanted to go to college, because I didn't have to choose, because I had no idea. If I were to study at home, I had to apply for a program, whatever that may be, and then just studied that program with that one subject. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know what to do. I was like, if I go to the U.S., then I can take all these different classes and then end up choosing a year later or, you know, even two years later if you really don't know. Um, so I was able to take some classes, psychology, took some a theater class, which was way outside my comfort zone, but it was good credit or, you know, you get, like, these elective credits for it taking some different classes I ended up liking psychology so that's what I ended up majoring in 
And I think without being having the opportunity to try these different areas of subjects that I wouldn't know what I would want to do. Even out of mm-hmm. or out of high school, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the two systems are very different. Um, and I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Like, out of high school, I didn't really have a specific major that I wanted to study. You know, my older brother, he's an engineer. And he knew he wanted to be an engineer from day one. And me, I'm like, I don't really know what I want to do. And so, yeah, the American system allows you to take all these different general educational electives. Um, but you're right in Sweden, I don't know as much about Sweden, but I know in Spain, it's like you either do like letters or science, and then you go straight into that and you're basically going into your main courses right away. Um, but I'm curious, you said you did theater. Did you have to act or, uh, what was that like? We had to act and me being a freshman, not knowing English first of all, and had to stand up and do acting in front of people, like, well, in front of people, in front of our class, which was, we were, like, 20 people or whatever, but, yeah, we had, we, I remember we did, I think there's this play called, like, The Rabbit Hole or something, like, this book that we had to read, and then with, like, the actual play in it, and then we had to pick a part that would take us, like, five minutes or something to act and then we're supposed to go on our own time, practice with our partner, and come back to class the, the next week or, or whenever the assignment was due, and and do the whole act. <laughs> yes, it wasn't as funny as we may have seen. But... <laughs> it sounds awful. <laughs> it was the worst. It was the worst. Oh. I don't know what grade we got, but at that point, I was like, as long as I do this, I feel like I got out of my comfort zone so so much, I'm, I'm happy with it. <laughs> yeah. So what would your life have been like if you would have stayed in Sweden? Like, could you combine sports and college if you would have stayed? It's possible, yes. Um, but... You, I think your your time with your family and friends would suffer so much, you know, from it. Because then, athletics, I feel like athletics in Sweden respects studies. Like you go to school, like if you have a seminar or if you have an exam, do that first. Um, but it's not the other way around. So if you were to enter a program and and you had a game. Like let's play. Let's say you had um, a away game and you had to be gone for the day, and you can't do the exam the same day they want to. They won't really work with you the same way. Obviously, if if you were in college, then it's under the same roof, so it's mm-hmm. com- you can have better communication between the teachers and and the coaches because they both respect each other. Mm-hmm. But when it comes, to, there is no way you could like your school would suffer for your sport so right. it's very difficult you have days where you had to be in class nine to three nine to four and then had to be in practice you have to miss morning practice because you can't skip class and then you have just one hour every night for for team basketball or one and a half or whatever mm-hmm. you you really can't have a full experience with both academics and and uh, basketball in sweden uh-huh it's interesting because I actually received an Instagram message last night from a person who has been listening to these podcasts, and I actually don't know this person uh, personally, but she said, you know, why in Europe, why is it the university that has to try to uh, cut, um, to help the athlete? You know, wh- what about the coaches and the teams? Like, shouldn't they also be trying to help the athletes with their academics? And I, as I was reading her message, I thought about that, and I was like, well, maybe I need to think about this more, but it just seems a little easier for a professor to allow a student to take a test a different day or to turn in an assignment earlier than it would be for a coach to reschedule practice or even try to reschedule a game. I mean... I think just, like, if you if you want to be an athlete and if that's who you are, then... If I think as a, if I was the professor and I have a student or an athlete in my class wanting to take an exam early, I would just 
I mean, of course you can take the exam early. You know what I mean? If it's not like obviously a national standardized test, but if it's mm-hmm. a test that that you're coming to me, you're being responsible for your studies, you're not trying to skip, you're not trying to miss out, you're not trying to postpone so you get more time to study, you're actually asking to take it earlier because you're you have other things on your plate, then I mean I that's the easiest solution, but <laughs> but you know like but universities are so hard on on them being the first priority and everything so they're like okay no we're not gonna allow any differences we're supposed to do it the way it's supposed to be or it can't be done at all it's it's definitely difficult which is why a lot of athletes are deciding to go to the states however what about when you then graduate and you go back to europe do they um value your psychology degree to the same standard that they would someone that studied psychology in Sweden? No. Well, it kind of depends on, in just in psychology, obviously there are different, in, even in the U.S. and the different states, you have to have that state's license in psychology to be, you know, a licensed mental health professional. And it would, the same in Sweden, the Swedish um, healthcare system has their standards where you need to to meet the standards and you have you need to have the knowledge that they require for you to be mental health professional in Sweden. So that doesn't always go hand in hand. And so um, what I've been having to look up and trying to figure out is what courses do I need to study in Sweden in order to complete my, let's say I have 80% of my degree from from the U.S. transferring to Sweden, then I need that 20 extra percent for whatever courses that they think that I don't have knowledge in yet. So, right. And then you take the license test. Right. So on the downside, you're going to have to do more more academic work. But right. when you look back on your experience, um, would you like take that risk and do it all over again? I would because it's so much more than, you know just the education for me, like the experience that I had in the U.S., you know, just the culture, living in Florida for four years, two years Orlando, two years Miami, the friendships that I've um, made, the coaches that I've met, and just, you know, the personal growth that I went through during these four years, it's so much more worth to me than studying another six months in Swedish university to complete my degree. So I would have to do it again. And I have younger players who are asking me about my college experience and, and what's the upside, what's the downside, and can I use my degree in, in Sweden? Obviously, it depends on what you're doing. If you're studying law, you can't use that law in Sweden. But, you know, it uh, kind of depends on what you want to study. But when it comes to the whole experience... I would do it again in a heartbeat. The transfer and, and everything, I would do it all again. Okay, so you did you do two years at Stetson and then you transferred to Barry? Yeah, two years. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, and when you did the transfer, was that something that you did on your own or did your previous agency help you then find a new team? I remember I reached out to him to just let him know, like, hey, I'm thinking about transferring. Um, is there any way you can help out in this process. Um, but I think um, one of my assistant coaches at Stetson was the one who reached out to different schools in in Florida um, and different D2 schools, even D1 schools. But in my head, I'm like, I really want to play, so I, I'd rather go to a Division two school, a lower level, but get the minutes that I want and... and just become the leader that I know that I am on the court mm-hmm. um, that I felt like I missed out on being these two years because I didn't get the role that I wanted. The, the situation wasn't the right fit for me. Um, so one of my, my assistant coaches at Stetson um, reached out to a few, to a few schools who, um, who he knew the coaches of. And I went to, how many visits did I do? Two. Yeah, I did two visits and then ended up going to 
Barry University in Miami for my junior year. Okay. I'm very happy with. I'm so happy with that. Place. And that was Division Two, but it was still full scholarship. Full scholarship. Yeah, I think okay. I think there's a rule actually for all international students at a D two school they have to have a full ride, but mm-hmm. when it comes to Americans, it might differ in the percentage of the scholarship they get. Okay, and you said you are so glad you went to Barry. What do you think was so different? Was it your role on the team that just kind of was the cherry on the top, or just the environment? Yeah, I mean. Everything around basketball was amazing at Stetson. It was a really high academic school. I had some Swedish friends that I'm still calling my best friends that I met over there, tennis player. And, you know, so I feel like my network there feels more like home. But when it comes to what's important to me in my career, basketball and academics, Bay was definitely the better move and situation for me because I got to play 25, 30 minutes a game both junior and senior year. Um, I had a coach who believed in me and trusted me, which was another major thing that gives me calm on the court and makes me play my best basketball. And uh, academically, Barry has one of the, I think they're ranked top 25 now in psychology, in the psychology department. So just being able to work with and under great staff and and classmates you know it definitely like improved my uh my academics like now I want to be a mental health professional like that's what I want to do I even considered doing research because I did research my last year um independent research with you know that's a whole other topic but just being able to given the opportunity to be picked by just a few students to do this research just gave me like I've been working so hard, I can do this, you know, had my little poster at this poster, like your own personal poster, or something for my research at a conference, yeah, Ah. so just being able to do all these things academically and athletically is definitely the best move I've done. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm sure you get this question then by uh, younger athletes that you know, but what do you think you should have done differently or you could have done differently before going to Stetson? Like, were there questions you should have asked or were there things you should have thought about? Um, I mean, I know it's hard to, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but like, what advice would you give to the younger generation that's thinking about doing the same thing? Like, what, what do you think are the important things to look at or to ask about? I think the first thing... Like my sister went through the college process two years after I did, so I made sure to let her know the things that that I could have asked or that I could have looked for. Or I think the first thing is just knowing, like, what is the reason you go? Do you go to play or do you go for the experience or do you go for the studies? You know, I always say as a basketball player, that could be your golden ticket to your education. And some people use it that way and they're like, I don't really care about playing. Like, I'll be there but I just want to get my American education or I don't really care about school. I really want to go to a team where I get to be the go-to person and I want to play 30 minutes. So I think the first thing is realizing in yourself, like what, not listen to anyone else. What, what do you want to accomplish by going there? Um, and for me, basketball and, and academics ended up being kind of equal so I just wanted to go to a situation where primarily, okay, the, the first thing would be basketball. I just need to be happy. I need to play. I need to know that what I'm doing is paying off. The education is like the bonus, but it's equally as important at the end of the day as I've been graduating. Um, so I think the first thing you need to look at is what level do you want to go to? Like, where do you think you would fit in the best because mm-hmm. um, Stetson and Barry are two very different schools when it comes to the culture as well mm. like Stetson little town I don't want to say rich white people school but that's what it was very expensive coming to Barry it was a cheaper school in the middle of Miami no one really lived on campus everyone lived everywhere 
around Miami. So it was more, it was very different situations. Hmm. It's just like, what do you want? I guess talk a lot to the players that are there, not only the people that have, are playing minutes and also the players that don't, to kind of just, I don't know, just to get a feel of coach and, and team chemistry because you want to get to a team where everyone treats each other good and, you know, because at the end of the day, like, that's what matters. You're happy there. Right. But it is so hard because when you go on your official visits and when you talk on the phone, of course they're going to put their best foot forward, you know, and they're going to show the best side. So, I don't know. It is difficult to know exactly what you're getting into. Especially when you have such short time at each school, like, you, when you want to go, you have 48 hours to to have, get a feeling of is it the right move or not. And as a player, if you then were ever hosting a incoming a potential recruit you know you're not necessarily going to tell them this place is crap (laughs) sure yeah because you know then that person won't commit if you would say that the person won't commit and then whoever was the host are gonna get yelled at for not you know giving her all the information she needs to commit you know so yeah it's a whole game kind of question you said that you would do it all over again for the whole experience how do you think Edi Anderson has just grown and developed thanks to living four years uh, away from home and toughing it out on your own you know you I'm sure there were plenty of obstacles but you you kept going and you stuck it out for four years yeah I definitely the freshman year was the hardest year just with all the the new things like everything is new like the food the team the language you can't even be yourself because you can't like talk the way you talk like people would like i don't know like when i met with my swedish friends my american friends like you seem to have so much more fun in swedish i'm like because i can say what exactly what i'm feeling and what i'm thinking so you know what i mean like it's it just comes more naturally so I think it was definitely hard. It was days where I would go to home to my teammates' home and just be like sitting there crying because I'm missing home. And when it hits you, it was two months in, and I think it was like October or something. And when it hits you, like everyone that I love and know are on the other side of the world. Second year, I knew more people. It was like coming back. I, you know, had my Swedish friends at school. You know, I was just so excited for this next year. Then transferring, it was kind of starting over again. But then I actually, you know, I have friends and family around because you get to know so many people. Even like my, my, um, what what was her job? Like her insurance. She was like the insurance person. Like I still would message her today and say, How are you doing? You know, Mm -hmm. she would invite us to her home and, you know, you just have more security so far away from home um so fourth year it's like i know somebody there i know somebody there if i ever need something in orlando i have these people if i ever need someone in arizona i have my freshman roommate you know so it's kind of like it feels more more and more like home Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know where where i would have been and what i would have done if i didn't go to college um but it definitely pushed me through my uh comfort zones when it comes to the language, culture, everything. So I, I don't think I would be as brave as I am today and, like, just doing these things. I don't know. I just think I um, I wouldn't be who I am today without all these obstacles and challenges. And I've been through all of this. So right now I'm like, what else is going to happen? Just hit me. I can get <laughs> Just hit me. What's <laughs> Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think back to all those workouts we did in college and the running and everything, and I just think, what's going to be harder than that, you know? Like, um, But for you especially, just the whole cultural aspect of it all and being far away from family, um, that's a lot to get through. And you did. You came out on the other side. You survived. So congratulations. Before we get to the last kind of uh, quick 
questions. I'm just curious, when you came to the States, I mean, what were the cultural um, differences that maybe you thought were crazy, stupid? I don't know if you can remember back that far, but just like, oh man, this American way of life is just yes. unbelievable. <laughs> yes. If, it, if I can say something that's out of like basketball and stuff, it would definitely be like how people like just dress, like how you carry yourself. Like, just like, you don't care. Like, you can go to a restaurant with just a t-shirt and shorts that you would then go to bed in, you know, the same clothes, you know? <laughs> Wait a minute, like, because when we went out with the team, was, I'm like, you're going you're gonna to wear, we're going to dinner on a restaurant, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we're just going down the street. I'm like, so you're wearing, sorry, I don't want to be offensive or anything, but are you wearing that? <laughs> and I'm like, jeans on like have this nice top like I've like done a little bit of makeup I'm ready to go to dinner with my friends and they were like yeah 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 and then she got her lanyard like on I don't know I was like okay I this is not me but I I guess I'm cool with like not dressing up as much I just feel like he's so much more relaxed uh-huh um and me and John has been over this too now he's more European when it comes to like those kind of habits um but i'm like um that was the biggest uh, one of the biggest things for me i think europeans definitely have the um reputation of being much more fancy uh, compared to americans and probably depending on the city you're in obviously if you're in new york or something like that people are going to be walking around decked out to the nines but yeah that's an interesting observation um okay so what um jersey number do you wear and why I have always worn, or I have not always worn, I've worn different um, numbers earlier, but whenever I went to the women's team and we had to pick our numbers for Euro Cup, then Coach was like, which number do you want, 22 or 23? I was like, my birthday's on the 22nd, so I'll just do 22. He's like, oh, that's an ugly number, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. Ah. And I was like okay and then you know ever since it's been 22 okay <laughs> I think so before college I always wanted number three because um it was one of the Swedish players went to um this was like my my idol her name was Stephanie Edestam she played at uh, University of Miami and she had number three and she um I was like oh that's so cool that you can have like because here you can't um from when whenever in my club and in, in Sweden you can always only wear four to fifteen and that's it. You couldn't yeah. wear her numbers. So I was like, oh that's cool. Like I wanna have three. And she was a three point shooter and I was like, I wanna shoot like her. Maybe I need to wear number three. So every single, I always wanted three. Um but um in college this other girl had number three and I was like dang it so I get to stick with twenty two then. I mean this is my number so it's fine. So three and twenty-two has always been my number. Okay. Um, and when you were traveling to the United States for college, was there any type of food product you would put in your suitcase that you knew you weren't be able to, you weren't gonna be able to find in the states? Oh my God, Leslie! Swedish candy. Swedish candy. Yes. Oh my good. Like right now, I regret I didn't bring more from from Sweden. Just been here. Really? What's so great about it? And, like, our licorice. Like, I know Americans aren't usually a big fan of licorice. But, yes. I think any Swede would say Swedish candy. Have you asked any other Swedes on here what their their food is they would bring? Well, I interviewed Paulina, but I'm trying to remember, and I don't remember what she said, or maybe I didn't even ask that question at the time, because she was the very first person I interviewed. So I don't, I think you're only the second Swedish person I'm interviewing. Okay. Yeah. But but she did, I do remember her talking about the Swedish culture and how, like, once a week it was a big deal for kids to, like, go get candy. But I've never tried Swedish licorice, so I have no idea. Oh my god! Whenever I have some, or whenever somebody, my family's coming here and they bring some, I'll definitely give you some. It's, <laughs> I don't know how to explain. Like, okay, so our our grocery stores have like these small boxes where you can handpick 
the, whatever candy you want, like it's like maybe 50 different types. Mm-hmm. You get your food and you pick whatever you want in your bag, you go and weigh it and that's your bag. Um, so there's just so many different like types and styles. Like I don't eat chocolate, so I never do the chocolate, but I do a lot of licorice. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll have to look it up online, Swedish licorice. The weirdest questions I got was, is the Swedish fish the actual Swedish fish? It's not. <laughs> it's not the same. That's a very good point. I wasn't even thinking about that, but growing up, I used to love getting Swedish fish. Yeah. They're similar, but it's not even the same company that makes them, so they're not the same. Absolutely not. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um and then on the court, do you have a favorite go-to move? What's your bread and butter? Uh, in college, they, I didn't name this. They, because I did, it was like at the end of the game, I did two step backs in a row to win the game for us. Step oh. back through. They're like, oh, the Swedish step back. But I don't like the thing anymore for, for me or any, or, you know, because that, you know. So, the yeah, that's step back. the Swedish step back. That's what they call it. Uh-huh. I guess that's as close to my signature move as, as any move gets. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, you have a very good three-point shot, so. And then I usually ask this question as well. When you were learning English, it's been a while now, so now it's probably so natural to you that you don't even think about it, but was there any um, interesting word or phrase that you felt like, oh, we don't have this in the Swedish language, you know, or... I remember, like, when we had Americans on our team back in Sweden, I don't know how the conversation went or how she said it. Let's say, like, I don't know, I, I did a bad pastor, and I'm like, oh, my bad. She's like, you're good. I'm like, what do you mean I'm good? That was bad. That was bad. <laughs> She's like, no, you're good. I'm like, okay. I don't know if <laughs> me back up again or what's going on. But I remember, I was like, you're good. I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, I, I remember saying thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, like, small things like that, I guess. And now that you're learning Spanish, do you have any favorite Spanish words? Or what's what's the newest word you've learned? And the newest word, I don't know. I always use tarjeta a lot because I always play with cards. They always ask. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm actually on my 64th day of Duolingo, so I'm, I'm actually progressing a bit. There you go. Good for you. Yesterday, so, side story. One of my uh, closest family from home, she's not biologically my grandma, but she's kind of been my grandma for since I was like four or five. She's always been, she worked at the tennis courts when I started, so we've just kept in contact since. She's from Chile, and whenever I... Uh, said goodbye to her for coming to Spain, she uh, she was like, oh, you speak so bad Spanish. I'm so disappointed with you. Oh, no, no, no. And yesterday I called her and I was, we were speaking Spanish for like 20 minutes. Wow, Ida. Good job. I, I know her Spanish because I've heard it since I was, you know, four. But um, just, you know, working my way through and she just laughing at me when things are you know, bad and whatever, but yeah, I think just me being comfortable speaking with her, like, we're talking about, like, John's game and and, and my team and who's cooking, who's cleaning here and, and you know, uh-huh. just simple stuff, so she was proud yeah. of me Spanish. I'm oh. not gonna, don't speak Spanish now because I can't do it. Oh, well, I'm proud of you. 20 minutes, that's, that's pretty good. You're gonna be trilingual. I mean, English, Swedish, Spanish... Yeah, John made a challenge with me thinking he was going to learn Spanish faster than me. You know, no. (laughs) First of all, you need to learn learn Swedish before you can speak or you, I'm approving you to learn. True, true. I support you on that. And I put my money on you as far as how fast you're going to learn Spanish compared to him. Uh, he still orders in English. I'm like, if you want to learn, you need to think in your head, this is what I want. This is how I'm going to ask for it. If you don't know, look it up and then go. Uh-huh. Uh, you yeah. go. Well, I uh, 
I'll be looking forward. Hopefully, I'll be able to watch some of your games in person this year. Um, well, I just hope that I'll be able to catch some of your games because you'll be playing with two of my um, teammates from last year. But, yeah. um, Ida, I thank you so much for your time, for sharing your story. You had some really interesting points. I think my favorite part was the fact that you went to Poland to take your SAT. Um, yeah. But with the hard work ethic that you have and uh, your just desire to to do things, um, I have no doubt in my mind that your future will be bright, is bright. Oh, so. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you for having me on your podcast. This is actually my first podcast. Yeah? Awesome. <laughs> I think about how stressed out American teenagers get over taking the SATs. And then I hear the stories of European teens who want to go to the U.S. for academics and athletics. Not only are they taking their own high school exams, but on top of that, they're preparing for the SATs in English. And in Ida's case, having to travel to a different country just to take the exam. Talk about determination and drive. Thankfully, Ida doesn't regret the effort she put into attaining a college scholarship. In fact, she'd do it all over again. Another inspirational story from a student athlete who is now starting her professional basketball career in Europe. And that's a wrap for this week here on Another Season in the Books. As always, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and almost anywhere else you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed the show, why not leave us a five-star rating? Or write a comment letting us know what you thought. Your support means a lot and helps get the word out to future listeners. I'm your host, Leslie Knight. Thank you for tuning in, and as a friend of mine once said, make it a great day. Take care, and have a healthy week, everyone. Ciao.